week of service, uh, we had the opportunity to um, uh, do a lot of what you saw, and, and I know many of you probably saw yourself if you were, there's a lot of images flying by very quickly, so I don't know if you caught, caught yourself. Um, over, the, over the week of service, um, just to give you a picture, um, this is something that we are doing, we're trying to do with the wider community in mind, um, by just an act of worship for us, more than just a, a, an expression of our faith in Jesus, but what does it mean to invite the wider community to be a part of it? So uh, this last week of service, we really worked hard to create some really good partnerships or opportunities for people who um, uh, uh, that we could come and serve alongside with. So uh, we had uh, 40 nursing students from Mount Carmel participate in the week of service. We had probably about what, 20 or so um, people who are connected some way to the Tri-Village Chamber, uh, which is the local chamber of commerce for this area. Um, we had about 15, 20 guys from the Refuge. That's a, a ministry that focuses on, um, uh, it's a recovery program. And so we had them come out and uh, they, uh, they did a, a lot of work. And one night, in fact, or two nights in a row, they came and they deconstructed these old uh, wooden pews um, that were, uh, and, and uh, a few other people, David and uh, uh, I don't if a few other might, might have helped with it as well. And, um, and then the rest of the, the 100, 150, uh, we're kind of guessing on the number because some people just kind of showed up, um, were you, you all and um, uh, friends of yours and just the random person who saw us online and said, hey, we want to serve. And it was really cool because we had a, quite a few people that I met who just saw it online and said, yeah, I'll come out and serve. Um, I'll come and be a part of that. So we're really excited for the ways in which God was able to service relationships. I know I know. I talked to a few, a handful of you who weren't able to do anything with the week of service because your schedule didn't permit, and all I heard was how disappointed you were. So I think just overall, everyone, it seems like, was either participating or unable to participate. Um, and so what I told most people who were unable to, uh, most everyone I talked to, you're serving in so many other ways. So, uh, you know, let's get you a shirt, you know. <laughs> okay. Let's make sure we get you a shirt. Um, so if you have any other stories, um, as we, uh, we'd just love to hear what God did. So if you have any other thoughts, um, we'd love to hear it. In fact, um, if any of you have something that you'd want to share even right now, I wasn't planning on it, but I just feel like in this setup, it just feels like the appropriate thing to, um, to do. Does anyone have like an observation or, a, or, a, or a, a, something they'd like to, to share for the greater, greater good? Put you on the spot, huh? That'll make even make even more nervous. I'm gonna walk out in front of the speaker again, so let's see how it I work today. So, sorry. It is on. Yeah, cool. Hi, I'm Chrissy. Um, I invited my friend Jeremy. Oh, do I need to stand? No, I mean, okay. what, yeah, sure. Okay, sure, I'll stand. It's, I don't. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I'm making this up. Um, yeah, I invited my friend um, from college. And I invited a guy to the Franklin and Cycle work tonight. And it was funny because it was just really random. He's like a hipster guy, too. So I was like, he probably would want to work on bikes. Like, that's a hipster thing to do. <laughs> and then I found out he, like, worked on his dad's bike from the 80s and, like, has been fixing it up for a long time. And it was just a cool thing of, like, oh, cool. Like, I invited him to something that you're really knowledgeable on. And I had no idea. And he was like, I want to, like, keep doing this. Like, I need something to do on a Tuesday night. So that was cool. That's really cool. Anyone else? Yeah, Denise. Yeah, I work at Oakland Nursery just for the holidays. And um, 
asked them to donate some of the plants to put in the new, and when we did the Franklinton thing. And um, while I was like loading, they were helping me load them back into the car, a bunch of my coworkers said, uh, what, are you, what are you doing with these, Denise? And so I told them and they were like, oh. so do you do this every year? And I said, yeah. And I said, so they all were like, well, sign us up for next year. Well, the whole uh, nursery crew will come down and help us clean up Franklinton, so. That's good news. We can do a lot of gardens. <laughs> Anyone else? I got a thank you note from uh, from Lower Lights. We served dinner to, they have a kids program, we served dinner there, and um, they said that they've already been contacted by like four or five nursing students who are gonna continue to volunteer there, which is the whole goal of the week of service is that people find a place that they can serve on a regular basis or a couple times a year. Um, so it's really exciting that people have already gotten, found a place to connect already. Awesome. Last call. All right, well, um, we're going to transition uh, our time of worship to a time of, of giving. There's a, three ways to give, as Alyssa mentioned already. Um, you can give in the Dropbox um, after the service. You can give online or you can give by text. And so if you're excited about what God's doing and the way in which God's using our church to make a, a, a change happen in this city, um, we'd encourage you to give and to give generously. So with that, uh, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for all that you've done in our midst. We give you thanks for the ways in which you've used us. Lord, I think especially for each person here, for the ways in which you've used them, uh, the ways in which you've used their time here at church, um, in the community, the ways in which they've volunteered here at the week of service, outside the week of service, and however you use them, we just are so grateful uh, for their presence, and um, we ask that you would just continue to strengthen and encourage us and continue to grow our hearts as we um, learn to be generous just as you are. In your name we pray. Good morning. Um, uh, if, by the way, if I, if I have a chance to meet, my name's Joe. One of the pastors here. Um, we're, in a, we're picking up our series again on Micah. Our, our plan is, unless someone twists my arm, uh, we're just going to keep going until we get through the whole book. Um, so if you really don't want me to, um, uh, let me know, I guess, and we'll, <laughs> we'll negotiate that. Uh, but that's the plan. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And, and, um, and it really just is an opportunity to, um, we, we like to talk about a lot of things here at Central City. Um, we've spent time discussing current events. We've spent time discussing um, relevant issues, uh, various topics. But um, one of the things that I, I really want to make sure that we do is just spend some time in Scripture. And, um, and so this is uh, kind of one of the places. Now, why of all the places we could really spend a large amount of time in Scripture, why we would choose Micah? Um, something we can talk about as well, <laughs> and uh, I, I question it sometimes myself. Um, it's not an easy book uh, to study, and I think that's part of why I'm so interested in it myself is because it, it is a, a bit challenging, and, uh, but I think there's something to be said, um, something to be said about what it means truth live uh, justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly, what it means to speak truth to power, um, which is something that Micah uh, majors in, um, and maybe, maybe we live in a time where that's still needed. Just going to suggest that. 
So today, I want to spend some time uh, uh, teaching a little bit differently than a lot, uh, a lot of times my approach is to kind of think through everything, really careful about what I say. Today, um, I, I don't have very many notes. I'm actually going to just, we're just going to walk through a chapter. So we're on chapter three. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphone and you do want to follow along, it will be on the screen. But we're going we're gonna to hopefully get through all of chapter three today. And I'm just going to walk through um, verse by verse, talk about what it means. If I feel really ambitious, I might even use the dry erase board. So that's exciting. I might even try my hand at drawing. We'll see how I feel and how much time it takes to get there. Um, but we're going to spend some time allowing God's Word to speak to us. And my prayer is, is that um, regardless of what I say, as we unpack this, um, that God might have something to say to you. So once again, uh, Micah, uh, uh, picking it up, Micah's a prophet. Prophets were called by God, set apart to oftentimes give very difficult word to people who needed to hear it. Um, so Micah has this difficult word, and um, this is, uh, Micah can kind of be divided into three in there, speeches, into three pro- prophetic proclamations, um, uh, some good alliteration there. And um, uh, we looked at, we finished the first speech, which is chapter one and two, and his speeches typically start out with, we can bring up uh, verse one of chapter three, his speeches typically start out with this command to listen. He said, listen, hear. And so this is the start of a new speech. And he's going to tell us who his audience is, he's going to tell us why he's talking to them and why it matters, and hopefully we can get something out of it as well. So chapter three, starting with verse one, says this. It says, then I said... Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? So he starts right at the beginning, and he tells us who the audience is. He's speaking to the leaders of Israel and to the leaders of Judah. We talked about this a while ago. There were really kind of three roles of leadership in the people of God. So the people of God was was a theocratic state, so it wasn't just a country, it was also a religion. It was all wrapped up into one, and so the three main leaders in that nation, so to speak, was the typical king or ruler or a judge was another role that kind of filled uh, judges and kings. Then you had the priest, that'd be the second, and then you had um, the prophet. And so I am going to draw what you had was essentially the king would operate the right. kingdom of God. So this is my attempt at a crown, right? That looks like a crown, right? Maybe like a jewel here. Not a very good jewel, but... They dealt with the kingdom of God. And, and so they ruled, and their job was to create the, the community of God, the kingdom of God. Now, this is something Jesus talks a lot about, but this was a literal kingdom. The second... Um, was the priest, and the priest dealt in the holiness of God. And they did that primarily in what we call the altar, and, um, and uh, I can't talk and draw at the same time. Um, that's my attempt at an altar. They did this primarily by, by ordering the furniture in the temple and, and, and creating this apparatus, this environment, this space, these words that were said, these teachings proclaimed, so that um, the holiness of God could come and meet God's people. The Spirit of God could fall and and impact God's people. The last role was the prophet, and the prophet dealt in the Word of God. That's that's a nice little scroll there. See that? You have this king, you have these priests, and you have these prophets, leaders of Israel, leaders of Judah. 
It's going to come into play in a little bit, so hold on to that. He says this. He says, um, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil. From my and then we're going to go very walking dead. Okay. <laughs> who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces. Who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Very strong words that Mike is proclaiming here. What is he saying? What is he saying? Well, there's a couple things going on here. First off, in the ancient world, in order to show how powerful you are, you do that through violence. In fact, uh, the people during the time of David and Saul would sing a song. Maybe you remember this if you studied David and Saul. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. There's this like, you want to know how powerful someone is? Well, how many people have they killed? How much blood has they, have they shed? You know, that's how powerful a warrior is, right? This is, so, so in culturally relevant way, these people would probably engage in some kind of bloodshed. You're going to see that a lot in chapter 3. He says, in fact, later in one of the verses, he says, you're building this kingdom through bloodshed, right? So that's one way to show power, which is one of the things we're often tempted by. We're going to hold on to that. But there's something else going on here. He says, not only are people dying but it's, it's like you're eating them. He, he describes cannibalism, doesn't he? Here's what I think he says. You're, what people are consuming is at the expense of other people. So it's like what you're consuming is killing people. So it, it might as well be cannibalism. Because cannibalism, you kill something, another human, so that you can eat them, which is really terrible and grotesque. That's, that's what this is describing. That's why we're bringing it up. But he's not, he's not, I don't think he's saying that literally. I don't think they're actually eating people. He says it's like this. What he's saying is the way in which the leaders were engaging in such extravagant consumption, extravagant, like all of this stuff, they kept bringing in more and more riches, more and more food. All of that consumption was affecting those below it. It was hurting them. Now, the truth is, if you consider how we consume things, if you consider the products that we buy today, if we consider the where we get our food and where we get our clothes and who made it and who assembled it, if you follow the chain of consumption, you'll see a similar principle at play. The things that I consume are often at the expense of people somewhere down the line. Maybe not as crazy as the kings and the priests and the prophets of Israel, but it's still very much relevant. And what he's saying is you're essentially killing other people, taking their life so you can have what you want. He goes on, verse 4. He says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. The simple truth is, when we do things that are evil, we act wickedly, um, we hurt other people, we sin, it does separate us from God in a very real way. It creates 
an intense amount of separation. In fact, one of the things that as I've been spending some time in chapter 3, it talks a lot about what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean for the, the presence of the Lord to be felt in your life? And if you're struggling with that, if you're like, I, I feel like I'm, I just don't have that connection with God, if you feel that way, one of the things you need to ask is, is there something that I'm doing that could be considered wicked, <laughs> evil, even if it's down the line a little bit? Because it does have a very real impact in the way in which we experience God. He says they're going to cry out to the Lord and, and God's not going to answer them because of what they've done. So he says, goes on verse, verse 5, and they, he says, this is what the Lord says. So, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. So what's happening is one of the roles is the prophet. They're meant to bring a word from God, and um, um, they're willing to do it if the price is right. So they're prophetic mercenaries. So if you give me the right kind of food, the right kind of pay, um, if you pay me well enough, that's when I'll, I'll tell you. And, and specifically, if you pay me well enough, I'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. And if you don't pay me well enough, I will call damnation down upon you, and it'll be nothing but evil you know, as a result. Like God will curse you. Prophetic mercenaries. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that we do this... Um, all the time, don't we? Um, we uh, tell people who can give us something what they want to hear, so they give it to us. And people who have nothing to offer us, those are the people we choose to be really honest with. Um, in fact, we do it so well, we have a lot of synonyms for this. I looked them up um, in, uh, on, on, the, on the interwebs. Um, we call this brown nosing, butter up, curry favor, flatter. Uh, grovel, kiss someone's feet, suck up to, sweet talk, lay it on thick, play the game, back scratch. If yes, you know, but, but, and this is completely normal. Like if if you can benefit me in some way, now don't pretend like you haven't done this, but like a boss or or uh, someone in your that has something to offer you, you're going to tell them what they want to hear with maybe within reason. Maybe you do have some integrity around that. But generally speaking, you're going to tell them what they need to hear because you need that favor and you're going to get something out of it. But then if someone has nothing to offer, then it's like, well, I mean, you know, whatever. I'll say what he says this. He says, if you, to people in power, he goes on, he says, Verse 6, therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go back to them. In other words, these prophets are making their money in declaring God's word, but because they're only saying what people want to hear when the price is right, they're gonna, it's going to be darkness for them. They're not going to be able to see what God wants them to say. In other words, if you spend your time trying to impress someone above you, and disregard or blame people below you, that's another way in which you're going to fall out with God. You know why? Scripture tells us that God um, lowers the proud and he rises up the humble. He, he lifts up the humble. So if your job is to simply flatter, then you are up here who can maybe provide something for you, and that's where you're spending your attention, then you're, you're out of tune with God. Because that's not what God is. God has actually taken the people that are typically in these high places of power or prestige or fame or wealth or provision, and, and he lowers them and he lifts up 
the poor. So he goes on, he says, the seers will be ashamed and the diviners uh, disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. In other words, all of these people who claim to speak for me um, won't be able to say anything because God's not going to talk to them anymore. There's a very real sense in the prophets that God's judgment, um, the, the punishment typically fits the crime. And so the crime is misspeaking for God. And the punishment is, well, you're not going to hear anything. You're not going to hear anything. Micah goes on, verse 8. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Micah says, but here's, let me tell you about my, where I come from. I'm not coming to win you over. I'm not coming to get something out of it. I'm not coming because you're going to pay me a nice cushy salary. And so I'm going to say things that will make you want to just, you know, really uh, give generously. Not that, you know, like that doesn't happen. I'm just saying, like, if it did happen, he's saying, I'm coming. And the message I have, people don't want to hear, but I'm doing it because the spirit of God has fallen upon me. What he's talking about is this calling. And, and operating out of this sense of calling is completely different than simply doing something that works. See, you can be pragmatic in your life and in your job. You can, you can play the game. You can talk to the right people. You can learn how to win and influence. You know, you can do all of that. But here's the thing. I've met people who have all of the friends, all of the networks, all of the connections, all of the money, all of the position, all of the power, and they're dead inside. And then I've met people who have none of that stuff, but they're being completely true to what God has called them to. And it's, they're just, it's a different, different situation entirely. So I, I want to challenge you. I want you, as we think through this, you know, Mike is being, as difficult as his calling is from God, he's being very true to it. My, my question is, as you wrestle with this text is, what is it that God is calling you to? I was chatting with someone this week and... Um, I realize this is probably something, this is something that I've really struggled with. It's something they were struggling with. This is something that I know probably many of you in this room have struggled with. We, we do things that um, we know are sin. So we like, you know, whether that be reading the Bible or serving at church or signing up for the week of service, we, do, we go through these motions um, because we know it's the right thing to do. But that's different than doing it because you've really felt like God called you to do it. Here's what I want to say to you. Uh, if, if, if you've spent your whole life only doing what you feel like you ought to do and not doing because you felt like you had this uh, sense of calling, this sense of like, no, this is something that God has specifically told me to do, whether it's something small um, like talking to somebody or something big like a career change, I don't, whatever it is, if you've found yourself never... Um, operating out of this willingness that the Spirit of God has fallen on you, that the voice of God has spoken to you and you've lived out of it. Here's what I want to say to you. I believe God wants to talk to you. That God, that God wants to meet you where you are in your life. That, that God's voice is searching. And there are things that can keep us from hearing God's voice, like the sin in our life or, uh, or the, the, the way in which we're trying to win other people's approval. Those things will cut off God's voice in our life every single time. But I really honestly believe 
that when we remove those things, those barriers from hearing God's voice and from experiencing God's spirit, that God really does have something to say. In fact, I would go as far as to say that um, if you've removed those barriers and God hasn't said something to you, then you don't have to worry about it. Like, God, you don't need to do anything different. Like, that if God wants to tell you something, God will make it clear. I find people really struggle with this, that people really, like, I don't, I don't know how to figure out what God wants to do in my life. I don't know how God wants to, like, what God is saying to me. Well, if you've removed the, the sin and the barriers that would keep you from hearing God and God doesn't show up and doesn't say anything, then, then you're probably fine. Just relax. And trust, like, this is part of what faith means. If God wants you to do something differently, you'll know. And if you don't know or you're not sure, then... Don't worry about it. Like, here's what I'm trying to... God is powerful enough to get your attention. So don't go through life wondering whether you missed it. Because you haven't. It's available right now if you want it. And if God has something to say to you, God might not. So he's saying, like, God has filled me with the Spirit of God, and he's, and he's given me this calling to proclaim justice and, uh, and, and might and power, the very thing that oftentimes people are, are, are hungry for, right? This, this power, this, this lust for control over people. Micah says, I've got that power, and, and the people that you would expect, it comes from the Spirit of God. So when, when the Spirit um, was poured out on all people at Pentecost, we, we, we referenced it earlier in the service, that's what it's re- described as. It's described as power. In fact, in the Greek, it's dunamis, which is the word we get dynamite. It's like the Spirit of God will come to us in power. And so then he says this, verse 9, so hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. So once again, these these leaders that are operating out of a place of violence and evil and all this sort of stuff. He goes on, verse 11, this is actually where we're going to end and transition a little bit. Verse 11, he says, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord amongst us, no disaster will come upon us. In other words, you've got the the rulers, they're doing it because the price is right. You've got the priests, they're teaching and saying things because they're getting paid well. And you've got the prophets, they're doing the same thing. They're they're prophetic mercenaries. So because they're getting paid well enough, they're going to do what needs to be said. Now, I'm not saying that leaders operate out of that anymore, but they did then. This idea that because I was in this position and there are people who are willing to pay me to be in this position and to say certain things and do certain things, I'm going to operate out of it because the because I'm getting there's an aid, I'm getting compensated. And what he's saying is, is like that's that might be how normal leaders in everyday life operate, but that is not how the kingdom of God is meant to operate. And each one of these are being tempted by what money can buy. And some of the three basic temptations I want to suggest that that I see in this passage pop up subtly in different ways is is this. One is um, you've got this sense that um, uh, they're basic needs. So he talks about how the prophets will um, um, uh, uh, say things because they're getting fed, right? So they're just the basic needs. And and honestly, sometimes when when you run out of your basic needs, um, it can be really tempting 
to get them in ways that are less than filled with integrity. So your basic needs. The other one is this desire for fame or this desire for power, this desire to, to impress or to show off. You see that in the passage. And then the last one is just like beyond the basic needs, all the comforts and wealth that comes um, that it's available in this world. So that, that's what's really kind of pushing the kings and the prophets and the priests to do what is right. Now, here's what I want to suggest, that, that when you look at these three rulers and you look at the ways in which they're being tempted in this passage, uh, what you find is, is that when Jesus came, he, uh, you know, he came and uh, he, he traded the, the crown for a crown of thorns, right? But he came as a king and he, and he came to establish a kingdom. That's, that's the whole point of the Gospels. He's, he's fulfilling one of these rules, one of these roles of the, the king of Israel. And then the same thing with the altar, except for this one's going to be really good, I promise. Um, you know, except for, instead of the altar, uh, I don't know, something like that. I practice these while you guys are practicing. Yeah, they were practicing music and I was drawing. Um, instead of just being an altar, he, he came as a priest, as the great high priest, the Hebrew says, but, but also as the sacrifice, right? And then what's really cool is he didn't just come as a prophet bringing the word of God. John says what? That the word became flesh. And that Jesus actually wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a priest. He wasn't just a king. He, he also was the servant, suffering servant. He was also the sacrifice that the priest would offer, and he was also the word itself, taking on flesh. And here's the thing. In the Gospels, Jesus is tempted by Satan three ways. The first one is his most basic needs. If you read the story, Matthew chapter 5, he's out, he's fasting, he's hungry, he's in the desert, and he says, hey, turn this bread with his most, you know, this stone into bread, right? The most basic, like you're hungry, you want something, he's tempted with his most basic needs. And Jesus says, no. And then he's, he's tempted by showing off. He says, go stand on the temple and jump off, but your angels will catch you, which will be a display of your power. It'll show how much favor you have with God and with the angels and how impressed, it'll be very impressive. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They don't test the Lord your God. And then finally, he's put up on this mountain, and he's allowed to see all of the earth. And Satan says, you know, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that you see. He's tempted with this great, extravagant wealth beyond just your basic needs, beyond just the desire for fame and power, but all of the wealth that the world has to offer. And he says, no, thanks. And so you have these kings and these prophets and these, and these, uh, these priests, and they fall short over and over and over again in scriptures. And the whole point of Jesus coming is that he comes as the perfect king and servant, the perfect priest and sacrifice, the perfect prophet and the word of God itself, and is not given in to temptation. Now the kings and the priests and the prophets they were more than just leaders. They were, especially in the kingdom of Israel, they were close to God. They were meant to be close to God. They were set apart, called by God to be in communication with God and to represent God's will for the people. But here's the thing. Still, proximity to God is marketable. Still today. Proximity to God. If you can prove or... Um, convince people that you are close to God, that is very marketable because people want to be close to God too. It's 
It's in this deep longing within us. That's what they were selling out, wasn't it? Their proximity to God, the kings and the prophets and the priests. Now, Jesus came as those things. He doesn't give in, but um, there were people who were close to God. Satan shows up in uh, the Gospels twice, one at Jesus' temptation. Does anyone know the second time he shows up? With Judas. I say Judas, and you know who I'm talking about, right? He's, he's that infamous. You'll notice there's not a lot of kids named Judas these days. Um, you know, everyone kind of knows who Judas is, even if they don't know the story, right? So Satan goes and he tempts Jesus in these, like, three needs, and Jesus doesn't give in, not like the priests and the prophets and the, and the kings of, of Micah, but um, closeness to God is marketable, and Judas was close to God, and it says, Judas does. It says in the story that, um, first off, when Judas is, uh, he's taking care of the money bags for Jesus, um, he's, he's the treasurer, the church treasurer, and uh, t- today, to this day, without the right checks and balances, treasurers will walk off with a lot of money. It's a sad story that happens in churches, but it happens. Um, not at our church, finance people, right? We all check, <laughs> checks and balances. But it happens, and J- Judas is the treasurer. And, and this woman comes in uh, about six days before the Passover, and uh, she pours a year's worth of salary onto Jesus' feet in the form of very expensive perfume. And Judas speaks up, and he says, oh, this is terrible. You could have used all that money for the poor. And then the gospel writer tells us what Judas is really thinking. He says, no, no, no he didn't really care about the poor. He was the treasurer, and he would take some of the money out. So Judas, close to God, close to Jesus, close enough to be in charge of the charity that is funneling through Jesus' ministry, the reason he wanted to go to the poor is because he'd take some of it. And then five, six days later, a day or two before the Passover, it says that Satan entered him. It's like Satan couldn't win Jesus over like he had done over and over again in the people of Israel. So went after someone close to Jesus, which raises another question. Are you close to Jesus? And have you realized that that makes you a target? That the great thinkers in the world have often said, I think Gandhi was one who said it, is quoted for it, that I love your Jesus, I just can't understand his people? Are you associated as a Christian, as a person of faith, and do you realize that makes you a target, that you represent something much bigger than yourself, and that Satan or the evil forces in this world or however you want to think about it have tried to take Jesus down, and he can't, but he can take us down. What I love about this, though, is, um, you know, Judas is the perfect example of what we see in Micah, someone whose proximity to God he felt like he could make some money off of. Um, But what happens is after he decides to do this and Satan enters him and he decides he's going to betray Jesus and turn him over, he gives into the bribes and the payment, um, he then goes and sits down at a table. And it's at this table, actually, that Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. 
table. I always want to remind myself as, as Jesus is sitting at this table breaking bread that, uh, that, uh, that at the table is Judas. And then he says, um, this is my cup of, 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 of uh, a sign of my blood that will be shed for you, a sign of the new covenant. And that's, that's where we leave it in our communion liturgy. We just leave, say that part. But do you know what, the act, what Jesus actually says? He's, holding the, he's broken the bread. He's actually already passed it around. Now he's going to pass the cup around. He says, this is the blood of my new covenant shed for you. And he says, um, now amongst us is someone who is going to betray me. Can you imagine that table conversation? We don't have to. The, the gospel writers will, will tell us. They're like, everyone around the room is talking about who it's going to be. So if I say, yeah, you can come stand at the end of it. No, I'm going to hold it. We're going to do communion. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much longer we're going to talk, but you can see, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Imagine if I said, and I'm not, a, God hasn't told me this, um, so don't take it, but what if I said, there's someone in here who's betraying God? This is, this, is my, this is my body broken and shed, my blood shed for you. And just so you know, I'm gonna, everyone's, everyone's invited to take some of it, but one of you has already betrayed, has already betrayed me. Do, do you see why Jesus' message is so powerful? You know, my biggest problem with Judas um, isn't what he did. It's the fact that he takes his own life. That what, how would his story be different if he had waited just two more days? How would his story be different if he just waited two more days? Jesus goes on. He notices that they're all arguing amongst themselves as he's, you know, he's like, I'm wondering if he's thinking, like, this, guys, this is a community. This is going to be a big deal. People are going to do it all around the world, all on the same Sunday. So stop talking. Um, but they're all arguing. So he goes on and he says, hey, here's the thing, friends. Um, Gentile rulers, in other words, the kings and rulers of our age, um, they like to lord it over you. They like to tell people what to do. They like to be the boss. They like to be in control. They like to have the power. He says, but that's not how it's meant to be for us. For us, the greatest amongst us will be the servant. In fact, he plays around with this little question. He says, you know what? Um, uh, isn't the greatest person in the room, the one who's being served, and yet, here I am serving you. So what do you think of that? He says, if you want to be a part of this new kingdom, the ways in which Micah's people missed it, regardless of who you are, even if in this moment you feel like Judas, you get to come, and you get to share in the bread, and you get to share in the cup. And that's what we're going to do without knocking my iPad over. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would pour out on us, that you'd pour out on these gifts of bread and juice, that you'd make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. We ask that you would, in fact, work in our lives. Lord, we know that sometimes in our life we fail and we mess up. And so as we come before you, and we confess. And if you'd like to look at the screen, the prayer of confession will be up there. Merciful God, 
we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Yes, for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear this good news. Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, you, even you, are welcome to come. If you'd like to share in communion, you don't have to, but you're welcome to. Um, we'll be up here, and uh, you'll just break off a small piece of bread and then um, dip it in the juice and then come to your table. We'll um, have people um, kind of uh, come this way and exit that way in, in some sort of orderly fashion.